Welcome to This is Robotics, radio news, podcasting news and commentary from around the world. Please join us for today's radio news report with your host, Tom Green, for news, analysis, and commentary from the wide world of robotics. Radio News is a production of Asian Robotics Review, your most trusted news resource in global robotics. And now, here's Tom. Hi, folks, and welcome once again to This is Robotics. For two years now, and this is really cool for us, for two years now, we're the number one robotics news podcast worldwide. We're so excited. And you, dear folks, put us at number one. Thank you very much. We're very much indebted to you. As always, this is Tom Green, your host and guide and fellow traveler into the wild world of robotics and its future. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Topping the news this month, of course, is Walmart, with its blockbuster five-year plan filled to the brim with automation and robots. A story we call Walmart Goes All In for Robots. In short, it's a massive upside for the entire robotics industry. That's sure to prompt other retailers to follow suit. Some already have. Some are even ahead of Walmart. Even Walmart suppliers are sure to speed things up now. Got to get all those gazillion cans of Campbell's soup shipped to Walmart's 4,700 stores either fast or faster. Which means, of course, the exit of human beings from factories and warehouses is going to be increased rapidly. We'll get to that in a moment. The next story we have following Walmart is our piece on Australian robotics. Once high-flying, and they really were, Australian robotics went into eclipse after 2014 budget cuts. Listen to this sadly haunting news clip we have from 2014 that recounts the tragedy. It's really, it's heartbreaking. And now the country wants to return to its former glory. Here, a decade on, or almost a decade on. Is that possible? Know this, however. The world needs Australian robotics and Australian innovation. It's a tragedy that the government let it wither. Can Australia make a comeback? Here's a look at what's ahead for robotics down under. Then we're off to a factory automation story circa 1803. Hear that? 200 years ago or something like that. The world's very first automated factory, from which the reverberations here 200 years later still ring out loudly. The noted historian Simon Winchester wrote about it, and he'll narrate what happened. As he does, think about robot-driven automation today in today's warehouses and factories. There's a lot of relevance for where today's automation is headed. Now, let's get on with the news. Walmart goes all in for robots is our lead story for the week, for the month, and probably the better part of a year. The fallout from it is going to create a massive upside for the entire robotics industry. At Walmart's April 5th investment community meeting, A giant of an industrial robot opened the conference, picking up large white blocks with blue letters on them from a pallet, and then proceeding to spell out Walmart block by block, which was a definite clue as to where the meeting's agenda was headed and headed quickly. Doug McMillan, president of Walmart, wasted no time in announcing to his audience, we've been methodically building our next generation supply chain, and now we're ready to launch its five-year plan. Walmart is finally going all in for robots, and its competition will no doubt quickly follow suit, as did Walmart itself, after watching Amazon's robots make it an industry leader. 
If robots are good for Amazon, they must be good for all of us, seems to be the thinking from Walmart. Just have to find the right combination. Since 2014, Walmart has experimented with robots and now has fully committed itself to robot-driven automation. Sales of logistic robots and systems, mobile, stationary, or otherwise, which are swiftly tracking upwards for the last three years, will probably skyrocket in view of Walmart's recent bet on robots. Walmart looking to the future, the company betting big on automation to boost productivity and profits. Melissa Repko back in studio after attending the company's investment community meeting down in Tampa. And I know one of the things that stood out to you, Melissa, is how much automation Walmart is bringing to its distribution center. Yes, Walmart really emphasized how it is using automation to boost profits and how this will be a major push in the coming years as it tries to kind of squeeze every drop out of sales. Of course, as sales are moving online, those sales become more expensive. And so it's looking at ways to do that more smartly. And one of the ways is by speeding things along with the help of robots. And that certainly implies fewer people. Well, that is a question that came up, and I asked Doug McMillan that, CEO Doug McMillan, and he said he does not anticipate that it will actually shrink the number of headcount, but it may shift them to other parts of the company. So instead of having as many people at the fulfillment centers or the distribution centers like the one we saw, and both are being automated in in different ways, they might be helping with curbside pickup orders. They might be personal shoppers at the store running around once those robots help replenish shelves and either packing them in a box or getting them ready for someone to pick up outside of the store. How much of today's um, sort of fulfillment, let's put it that way, is automated this way versus how much they want to have fulfilled this way in X years? For Walmart, it's still extremely early in the process. So we saw one of the distribution centers, but ultimately they plan to roll that out to the other 41 of the kind of the shelf-stable, the, the non-perishable distribution center. So think things like diapers and, and Campbell's soup. That's the kind of thing that we saw these robots putting. They were taking them out of trailers and putting them together into pallets that were organized by department, by aisle, so that when they arrive in the back of the store, that worker can unpack them, get them to shelves more quickly, and, of course, then make it possible for those personal shoppers in some cases or customers to buy those items. To, to buy the items and, and yes. get them quicker. Now, the Behemoth Distribution Center in Brooksville, Florida, that's about 50 miles from Tampa, Walmart has begun to roll out its master blueprint for operations over the next five years. That's 2023 to 2028. The five-year plan shows Walmart finally going all in with automation and robots. And the Brooksville, D.C. is the poster child for where the plan is taking Walmart. Brooksville is the size of 24 football fields. Can you imagine that? That's 1.4 million square feet, or 130,000 square meters, where today 200,000 square feet are fully automated, and the remaining 800,000 square feet will quickly follow. And with the final expansion of 800,000 square feet left, explained David Gugino, Walmart's executive president of supply chain, throughput of goods will double, double as in twice as much. Yes, and it's sure to make every robot vendor grin broadly, for sales are sure to follow. Twice as much, 20% faster throughput in a totally automated warehouse. You can see where all this is going. Walmart's warehouse, where once workers manually unloaded goods from trailer trucks, now autonomous forklifts do much of the work. Warehouse worker Jose Molina approves. 
saying that the old system was physically demanding and filled with confusing paperwork. Molina added that now, when his shift is over, he doesn't go home totally fatigued. He and his crew only have to step up when the automation needs help, which is infrequent, all of which makes for an easier workday. The killer stat released in Walmart's announcement, within three years, the unit cost of moving goods will fall 20% as warehouse robots play a larger role in speeding goods to customers. As the sub-headline in Digital Commerce 360 read, by the end of 2023, about a third of Walmart stores will be served by distribution centers where warehouse robots do much of the work. That's only eight months off. To read the full story, please go to, and it's in our show notes, the Robotique blog. And while at the Robotique blog, you can read about the winners of the Walmart Robot Derby. Symbotic, gray-orange, and alert innovations alphabots. Those are the big winners so far. Welcome to the new world of Walmart innovation. And it ain't over yet. So what's the big red light flashing after that Walmart story? Maybe it's something like humans don't belong. The churn in e-commerce warehouses is challenging humans to keep pace. Can they for very long? With the promise of 20% faster throughput when automated, warehouse owners with razor-thin profit margins and cost-sensitive competition from other warehouses are opting for robots over human workers. It's a natural reaction, and the exodus of humans from warehouses is accelerating. It's a bizarre twilight time these days, when more than ever warehouse workers are being hired by the tens of thousands, yet their work is being monitored as if they were already robots. Just flesh-and-blood robots. A potential endgame scenario comes from a couple of University of Illinois at Chicago professors, Beth Gutilius from the school's Center for Urban Economic Development and Nick Theodore from the school's Great Cities Institute. Gutilius and Theodore have put together an incisive, very well-written and exhaustive 75-page study called The Future of Warehouse Work, Technological Change in the U.S. Logistics Industry. Get it. The, uh, the link for it is in our end notes. Really good read. Seems warehouse and factory workers are in a battle against precision, and it's one they won't win or even look good in defeat. Simon Winchester, writer and journalist, put out a book entitled The Perfectionists, How Precision Engineers Created the Modern World, which offers up a look at the technological tide transforming the world around us. Here's Simon with a look back at the world's very first automated factory and how it came to be from 1803. It's a story with parallel reverberations for today. The thing about these early inventors is that they were, their inventions were based on nothing, on their own hunches and intuition and sudden flashes of inspiration. Whereas, I mean, to use a very well-worn phrase, contemporary workers in this field are standing on the shoulders of giants. So I think it was tremendously exciting the way that things were being developed in Victorian London because no one had seen anything like it before. I mean, to give you an example and to go back to this other unsung hero, a fellow I, who was involved, oddly enough, with Brahma in making locks, a fellow called Henry Maudsley. Maudsley, very few people remember him today, but he 
was fascinated by the idea of industrial production, how you could make lots of things inexpensively and all looking the same. And this had tremendously important ramifications. What he was very interested in in the beginning of the 19th century was the Royal Navy and shipping. Because the Royal Navy, of course, its ships at the time were sailing ships, and to hoist the sails, to pull up an anchor, you needed pulley blocks, those things you probably remember from school, usually made of wood with sheaves and wheels inside them, which would give you great mechanical advantage so that one person could lift something weighing many tons. They were made of elm wood, and they were made by hand, hundreds of carpenters all over southern England. The Navy needed about 150,000 of them a year. So he went to the Navy and said, okay, to turn an elm tree into a pulley block, how many steps does that take? And they looked very carefully. You cut the tree into chunks, you smooth it into the approximate shape, you chamfer it, you bore holes in it, go on, goes on, goes on, goes on. 43, they said. He said, okay, well, I will make 43 machines. Each one will do one discrete part of the manufacture of a pulley block. And they gave him a factory in Portsmouth, about 60 miles south of London. And he built these machines. And sure enough, you would feed elm trees into a hopper at one end of the factory. And out at the other end would come fully fashioned pulley blocks. Overnight, all of these hundreds of carpenters all over southern England lost their jobs. And the only people that maintained this factory were 10 unskilled chaps with oil cans and bunches of cotton waste to make sure that the machines worked. And I might say that the machines worked so well that they were still producing pulley blocks in 1965. (laughs) Not a single one of them had been needed to be replaced over that 100, 200 years. So that was the first true factory in the world. It was the first, it was the kind of thing that led ultimately to Henry Ford and mass production. No one aware of the social consequences. And because it had come out of nowhere, everybody utterly amazed that such a thing could ever come about. So I think to answer your question, Victorian era manufacturing was so transformative that by contrast, what seems to be going on now, even though you know the iPhone and the jet engine and so forth are marvels, they seem to be merely incremental advances on something which began, had a birth date, and back then was profound in its, the way it changed the world. To date, governments have done scant little to retrain citizens for the jobs of tomorrow. Not scared enough, it looks like. Generative AI is going to change all that. Governments now can't look the other way. The future knocks once. Let's be ready this time. Is Australian robotics trying to make a comeback? The Great Down Under is on the hunt for fresh ideas, renewed energy, more talent resources to vault itself back onto its pedestal as one of the world's best in robotics. We just completed an article on this very subject in Asian Robotics Review. And it was very popular. So much so, we decided to include it on, on our next podcast of This is Robotics. If you want to see the article itself, just go to Asian Robotics Review. It's there. Plus, we put the main article in the show notes for 
This is Robotics, the podcast. When I started writing in robotics, that was back in 2012, Australia's prowess in field robotics was world-dominating, and its research is in demand at almost every trade show and conference worldwide. In those days, Australian robotics and roboticists were everywhere and welcome. Once high-flying, Australian robotics went into an eclipse after the 2014 budget cut. Know this, the world needs Australian robotics and Australian innovation. That they're trying to make a comeback is really great. It's a tragedy that the government let it wither. Can Australia make a comeback? We think so. Listen to this sadly haunting news clip from 2014 that recounts the tragedy. We've often been told science holds the key to Australia's economic future and its place in the world. But for the nation's premier scientific organisation, it's been a dreadful year. The CSIRO had $110 million slashed from its budget in May. That's on top of the cuts imposed by the previous government, and it's losing hundreds of staff. Now Australia's top scientific brains are warning from the fallout from the cuts will extend well beyond their laboratories. Tonight, for the first time, senior staff speak out about the CSIRO's demise and Nobel Prize winner Peter Doherty warns that it's dumbing down Australia. Connor Duffy reports. Almost a century, it's been inventing solutions to problems bedeviling Australians, from mozzies to poor internet access. Literally dozens of sorts of things, uh, from soft contact lenses through to Wi-Fi, of course, through to extraordinary things happening in agriculture every week, new strains. Uh, 100% of our cotton is uh, CSIRO um, varieties here in Australia and a large proportion of the American crop as well. I think some of those things have been very important, both in terms of how we live our lives in Australia and, uh, and you know, from the food we eat to the smartphones we use. Um, uh, and and uh, a lot of that's exported too. So I think the organisation has an excellent reputation both in Australia and overseas for scientific leadership. Stand up and be counted if you know what's right. But for the CSIRO, this year has been about pain and protest rather than triumphs. Stand The Abbott government slashed $110 million from the CSIRO budget. Combined with cuts from the Gillard government, the Staff Association says one in five staff will go by early next year. Almost 1,400 jobs in total. I think the latest lot of cuts have have caused a lot of real pain and, and perhaps in areas where it would have been better not to cut. Professor Peter Doherty is a Nobel Prize winner and former Australian of the Year, who says the private sector won't be able to make up for the brain drain. I think that's dangerous thinking, and I don't think it actually works. And in fact, a lot of the evidence from economists, if they actually look at data rather than just indulge in fantasy, is this sort of magic of the markets, uh, uh, um, the invisible hand is basically nonsense. The devastating effect on Australian robotics was profound. Soon thereafter, it seemed like Australia was more widely known for the Melbourne shuffle dance than for robotics. Even as late as 2017, headlines like these were frequent. 
Automation. Why does Australia still struggle to be a world leader? Is culture to blame for a lack of innovation in robotics? Not helping the cause was the collapse of Australia's auto industry. Toyota, GM, and Ford closed up shop and went home. And now the country wants to return to its former glory days. The country is looking to get a couple of trillion dollars out of robotics over the next 15 years, or so it says in its uh, robotics roadmap that it's just produced in 2022. But it's got a number of things to overcome to really get back to its glory days. It's got to fight its way through stuff like um, the Global Innovation Index. Australia is number 25. Canada, with 35 million people, is number 15. Graduates in science and engineering, they're 81st out of 132 nations. Global funding per pupil in secondary school, Australia is 64th out of 132 nations. Labor productivity growth, 78th out of 132. High-tech manufacturing, 49 out of 132. One really bright spot is females employed with advanced degrees. They're number five worldwide. The number of public sector employees has increased to 2.16 million, a rise of 14% over the past decade. They only have 25 million people in the entire country, and almost two and a quarter million of them are public employees. Public sector employees comprise about 16% of Australia's 13 million workers. The 10 biggest industries by employment in Australia, state government, health services, community services, retailing staff, temporary staff services, supermarkets and grocery stores, public general hospitals, aged care residential services, and government schools. That's not good. In 2022, Australia produced its Robotics Roadmap. And in it, it's got a very interesting statement. Australia says it doesn't want to be a nation of renters who own nothing and pay to use technologies created by other countries. We must reverse the trend towards being passive consumers of these technologies and define our role as value creators. Wow. Okay. These days, the roadmap is on the road. Visiting cities around Australia, looking to see what Australia's cities want. Maybe they should tour cities in Asia and find out what the cities need instead of want. And maybe along the way, get a little feisty. Maybe Australia needs to get back to its roots. Mining, agriculture, and subsea would seem to be strong suits for any Australian comeback. Mining has always been strong. Rio Tinto put $21 million into the University of Sydney. Mining robotics, mining automation is going fine. Agriculture could be rekindled again. Look at China. China has an $11 billion cut flower business that's done totally manually. And all of the flowers are sold, at least 90% of them, within China. They want to be able to sell out of country. And there's 300,000 cut flower farmers in China who could use a little bit of automation. Subsea. I mean, let's get get going here. Australia's an island. It's an island and a continent. It's got 21,000 miles of of coast and 11,000 estuaries just north of Brisbane in the Coral Sea. They're going to be doing deep sea mining. 
I mean, there's a way to combine two things. Deep sea mining, that's going to be there for the future. Instead of taking the robotics roadmap on a traveling tour around Australia, finding out what cities want, why not take the robotics roadmap to cities in Asia and Southeast Asia and find out what they need? Well, dear friends, we've come to the close of another This Is Robotics Radio News podcast. Many thanks for coming. We sincerely hope that you enjoyed your brief stay with us, found the program interesting, and had a few takeaways that will stick in your memory banks and power your day along. Thanks also to Global Robotics for being such a wonderful source for news. Please remember, if you have news to share, requests, kind words, or a bone to pick, please get in touch with us at news at thisisrobotics.com. Once again, news at thisisrobotics.com. As a production of Asian Robotics Review, we hope you visit the site regularly. And please, sign up for our twice-weekly newsletters. It's painless. Just your email is all we need. So long, until next time. That brings to a close today's edition of Radio News. As always, thank you for your interest and attention. Until our next report, please be sure to click on over to This Is Robotics, the online news column at Asian Robotics Review. Also, look for This Is Robotics Radio News at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and Pandora. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, this is Radio News, signing off. Have a great day.